What's up and welcome back to Now Nostalgia Pod. Once again, bringing you your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name, as always, is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Hey, man, how's it going? What's good? Nothing. Right in the middle of summer. It's getting hot outside. We're not reviewing midsummer, although we probably should. A little, little too scary for us. Can't do it. Too scary for us. But <laughs> we, we got a lot to talk about today. We, you know, we're going to be talking a couple albums. Stranger Things back once again. There with the crew. Uh, and you're going to be re- giving your review of Last Black Man in San Francisco, which isn't even really out by me. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But before we get into anything, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find all the ways to listen to this podcast. Share us with your friends. Go to Twitter at nostalgiapod. Let's start with Taylor Swift. She announced that her new album is going to be coming out next month. Lover. <laughs> Don't like the title name. Haven't been huge fans of the single so far, although definitely pretty catchy. I think ear grabbing if you listen to them enough but the real controversy with taylor swift right now is in that same post where she announced her album title she also was talking about how her worst nightmare has come to light when scooter braun acquired big machine label group which owns the rights the masters to taylor's first five albums and she has a long history of six albums six albums oh i thought it was only her first five taylor has uh, a bit of a history with scooter braun you know he's He's this entertainment executive. He represents a lot of big name artists, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Kanye West, Demi Lovato and Carly Rae Jepsen, just to name a couple others. But, you know, as Taylor, we've talked about the controversy between her and Kim Kardashian, her and Kanye West in recent years. She felt very bullied by Scooter Braun and Kanye West throughout all of that. And because of that, she feels like now her bully has her creative life in her hands, or at least her creative past. What do you think about all this, Dave? Yeah, it's very interesting because this whole talking point about artists, labels, and owning mass recordings and all that is being framed through Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift is probably not the best messenger for this issue just because she herself carries a lot of baggage as Mm -hmm. well. So I remember when I first saw the news of it, I just immediately bristled because I haven't been a fan of the way Taylor's been carrying herself really since that whole feud with Kim, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So... I just, I just didn't really want to hear another pity party, uh, woe is me from Taylor, you know? Right. But I think if you dig into it, you know, as a fan of music, as an observer of the music industry, it's hard not to take Taylor Swift's side, even if, as plenty of other people have elaborated on since, it feels like both sides are not telling you exactly how everything has gone down. But I think the overall principle of everything, which is probably more interesting to discuss anyway, mm-hmm. sounds like it's firmly on the Taylor side. But this also isn't actually anything that new, to be honest. It's just probably more publicized than usual. Yeah, I even wonder what like the sides are here. You know that Taylor Swift says that she should be able to own her own music, um, and Scooter says that you know I acquired this through the appropriate channels, so I actually do own it now. And um, you know, I, I think Taylor's principle and the idea of artists owning their creative work makes a lot of sense and is right. Just the way that the whole industry is set up right now though neither one has really done anything wrong um you can go into the weeds and talk about what is what scooter braun and kanye's actions uh and i guess scooter by association appropriate you know you also wonder uh like you said what what role did taylor swift actually play in some of this uh because uh, i think 
she is not blameless in some of the the controversy that has come about. Um, certainly, she seems to be making herself the victim. And I think some of the, the things like Kanye posting a, a naked lookalike in the famous video is certainly something that is a bit right. out of her hands. But, you know, you heard the recording that, that Kim did illegally between her and Kanye, and she seemed to be on board with what Kanye was putting out there. Again, that was also a doctor video. So we're only getting partial stories. But I do agree that the more interesting idea is like, why aren't why aren't artists allowed to own their songs that these labels you know can technically own their work but the the artist is the one who performs them writes them kind of makes them you know just with the whole he said she said of it all scooter this company bought big machine which had been going through a sort of bidding war for some time now people knew what they scott borchetta was trying to sell it but he bought it for 300 million dollars right and thus he gets all their assets the, the chief most desirable stuff of course is taylor's lucrative six past albums right and we don't know if taylor was offered hey taylor you can give us 300 million dollars and then own the label yourself obviously she had signed with uh universal through republic last Mm -hmm. year in in leading up to this new album so she had already left big machine but the whole he said she said of whether taylor was given the choice i mean ultimately the labels have to be altruistic to uh give you any kind of discount on and i think apparently they offered her you can re-up with big machine and you can earn back your past albums as you make new ones and of course taylor's dad is a or is a shareholder like a, a board member of big machine or was mm-hmm. anyway so a, a lot of messy stuff there but yeah taylor signed with big machine a six album deal when she was 15 years old and a lot of times when anybody new coming up signs with a major label the master recordings are owned by the record label that's just the way it goes because the record label is usually taking out all of the risk they're giving money up front to the artist and hoping it uh it pans out and you know i think as prince said if you don't own your masters your master owns you which is a uh you know is a fair point but i think the thing about it is like taylor swift is not exactly dying for cash or anything right now because she doesn't own her master she can't actually license the music herself into like movies or commercials or video games or anything and she couldn't put out a greatest hits album from those old uh, old albums on her own but she's still fine and of course now she has a new deal where she will be owning her masters Mm -hmm. moving forward so i think the the bigger question is it's like you look at the way things have started to change with new art especially in hip-hop uh xxn leave leave his personal issues aside was actually very smart in the way he was handling everything because he was just signing one-off distribution-only deals where he was not getting much of any money up front but had much higher royalty rates and actually owned the mm-hmm. stuff he made. The problem is that's not exactly something you can tell everyone to do because X already had a built-in fan base. He right. knew it would work. So if you don't have that and the label is taking a risk on you, you know it's it's really hard to convince them to not keep your stuff. So I, I really don't know what the problem is, but you know, like yes, artists should own the art they make, but it's uh, it's complicated, no matter how big or small the artist is. Yeah, it, you know, someone like Chance seems to be the the template for this, where he still owns all of his rights to his songs, but it takes a lot more groundwork. Chance, you know, uh, released these mixtapes and they blew up, but. For a lot of people to get to that level, it takes a little bit more pushing. It takes more connection, and uh, you need the help from that label to get your music out there. So it's 
there's i mean like you said this isn't a new issue something prince was dealing with back in the 90s I, I, there's been rights issues probably dating back to i think it was like the beatles and you know them wanting to have their mm-hmm. you know own their songs and michael jackson exactly some of their songs so <laughs> there's a it's a complicated issue and not a, a real clear solution but i do think kind of like you said a lot of uh, younger artists who might want to take a bet on themselves will probably start doing things like Exted or maybe, uh, you know, developing contracts where they say, you know, if after this many years I have the chance to buy this back by, you know, making some sort of deal where, you know, they earn, they earn the right back over time. It's going to be really interesting. Just uh, kind of to, I guess, look on the celebrity side of this. I mean, this is a pretty high pro- profile feud. Justin Bieber was coming at Taylor Swift um, in a very passive aggressive Instagram post. Ariana Grande initially posted in support of Scooter and then pulled it back and tweeted in the, uh, the on the side of Taylor Swift. It seems like there's people on both sides of this that are uh, coming at it from different angles. Where do you exactly fall with it? Yeah, and also I think Halsey, Alessia Cara, they both came at it from the men controlling mm. women angle of it all. And while maybe a part of Scooter was like maybe smirking to have a leg up on Taylor Swift business-wise. He's buying the label and thus getting her music because it's a yeah. smart business move first. That's what's motivating everything. So I really feel like the the gender angle is is there's just not a lot of smoke to that if you mm-hmm. if you really dig into it. But yeah, the celebrity stuff's interesting cuz Scooter Braun really is the only famous music manager, music agent we have right now. That 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 role has mm-hmm. largely gone away. Obviously, he used to be much, many more high-profile ones in past generations. So he's kind of a, he has a brand of himself. And actually, the way he does business is kind of interesting, too. He doesn't actually directly manage really any of these artists. He just invests in management companies that manage these artists. So it, it's, it's very interesting. But yeah, you know, I, I think you just kind of have to just try and parse out the facts. And like we said, it's tough to know. It's, it's tough to believe either side's giving you everything exactly how it went down. But I think you just... Gotta take away that, tell the, the artists that are much lower profile than any of these people chiming in to uh, do everything you can to uh, own your stuff if you can, because uh, the, the downside is tough. And you can look at artists like Sky Ferreira, who's still struggling sure. with, with that. You know, it, it doesn't always pan out for everyone. So it's uh, it's uh, it's complicated, and I'm sure we might hear some more. I, I doubt it. I doubt. I doubt it's over. There'll probably be more more shots. Maybe another Tumblr post. Who knows. Um, and it'll probably come up again when the next artist happens. You know, I mean, I know uh, Blueface was in an interview like a few months ago and they're asking about his deal and he just like really didn't know. He's like, I'm signed to WAC 100 and cash money wise. That's all I know. And then everyone comments. It's like, oh, 360 yep. deal. You're fucked. You know, it's like, and eventually yep. I'm sure he'll be mad in that situation. So you just, you got to kind of take it upon yourself to understand exactly what you're signing up for. Speaking of Blueface, when's that album? Uh, it's I'm looking forward to no date <laughs> yet. It's coming. Uh, meanwhile, we'll be looking forward to Lover coming out next month. Uh, hoping it'll be a bit of a, mm. a surprise. Uh, it'll surprise us in terms of quality. You need to calm um, down. We're going to move on, though, to some music. Let's start with Jaden Smith, Eris. Jaden now. Yep, just Jaden. The follow-up to 2017 Sire. And Dave, did you know Eris is Sire backwards? Did you know Sire is his middle name? No, actually, I didn't know that. There you go. Wow. Connected all of it. Oh, my. Third eye shit, man. Jaden. Yeah, and that, that, that's <laughs> kind of the thing. Jaden is known for his weirdness in a lot of ways. I think 
as a musical artist he's he gets he gets respect in the field and you know he had, especially has a, a somewhat famous relationship with Tyler, Tyler the creator where you know he said on stage mm-hmm. that they were boyfriend uh they're going out together they're yeah. partners however you want to state that uh, I don't know if that's ever been found to be true. Yeah, I think it was a joke. Probably was. But Tyler then shows up on this album, and so does Kid Cudi. Get a couple other. ASAP Rocky. Yeah, ASAP Rocky, Rocky, Willow, um, for his sister, obviously. So we, we, get a, we get a pretty big mix of people here, and he obviously has a little bit of clout. But is it deserved? And I think that's the question I'm, I'm kind of left with after listening to Eris. What What do you think? Do you how do you view Jaden as an artist? Yeah, that's the thing. So I mean, we we talked about Sire when it came out in 2017, and we then we skipped the Sunset tapes he put out last year, which was a mixtape that I didn't really like much of anything on it. He also did the Sire Electric album, where he did these weird electronic remixes of a bunch of Sire songs. Weird shit. Really nothing to write home about. So this is really the selling second time we've really touched on him as a musician uh, yeah i've kind of grown to appreciate his celebrity his his platform i guess not because i'm taking anything s- him seriously no i don't no one actually is you know he's he's, he's a rich kid mm-hmm. like we don't actually care his, his real thoughts he's just kind of funny and uh amusing i think it started out really before the music took off as we know with those weird tweets where he's just saying nonsense shit <laughs> and you know i'm sure he'd get along great with kyrie irving oh my God. But, and then sire had a lot of those like weird out there fake deep bars i don't know if there was as many of that those on eris now but i i think eris is a a step up from sire i think it's his best project mm-hmm. it's obviously far too long but i think i just appreciate that he's willing to try weird stuff like he really switches his flows he changes his inflections he does a weird kind of production shit he's clearly inspired by kanye mm-hmm. and tyler and that certainly means you're taking a lot of swings and you're missing a lot yeah and i think a lot of times when Jaden misses he really misses mm-hmm. but i kind of respect that he's willing to try different stuff and not just be super boring and lack of personality so i guess that's a bit of a qualifier but <laughs> i think when he does make fun songs they're they're pretty cool yeah, Eris supposedly, or according to him in a Rolling Stone interview, is a concept album about a person named Eris, uh, a young man named Eris who lives in dystopian L.A., similar to the Warriors, and he takes over the town and has a bad ending. You know, if nothing else, I agree this is probably his best project yet. I don't know if that means it's a good project, but I do think there's mm-hmm. more on here than more on here that you can like and, and feel optimistic about for his future as an artist. But I give him a lot of credit for sticking to his weirdness and for trying these concepts. And it definitely seems like he has a lot of artistic integrity that he's not necessarily trying to make something that's just ear catching that he's like, okay, I have this idea and I want to see it through. I think you can also take swings like this when uh, your dad is Will Smith and your mom is Jada Pinkett yeah. Smith, you know, <laughs> and your mm-hmm. fame is not, say it again. Yeah, <laughs> your, your fame is not tied to your success as an artist, but just the fact that you are their children and you are this public persona who's super weird and out there mm-hmm. and people like, but I do think there's more on here to like, I heard him actually, you mentioned X before I heard of him kind of channeling, a little bit of that Florida rap metal scene a bit. Yeah. Especially right at the end. Yeah. Riot was one, which I actually thought he did pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a song on there. Let, let me see where I had my notes. Blackout, which I was like, oh, this seems like a pretty blatant XXX Tentacion ripoff right here. Not sure if this is working. But yeah, Riot, I thought it came out pretty well near the end. And yeah, that weird production, I thought it actually worked out a couple of times, especially when he had someone to anchor him, like Tyler, Tyler, the creator on Noise, I thought was a standout. 
Um, I also really liked uh, Trinidad James on Mission, and I felt like yeah. Shout out to TJ, man. Yeah. Where the hell has he been? <laughs> I felt like when he had someone to collab with, he actually brought it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Sure. Any other anything else that stood out to you? Anything worth talking about? Cool to see him make a song with Willow. I mm-hmm. can't really remember any of his past songs. Or I'm sure they have some. I don't remember them. Yeah, I really liked Riot uh, as well, just because it's just different than really the whole flow of the album to that point. And just just a cool swing. But I actually thought it sounded, uh, sounded pretty cool. You know, like you said, sh- Shades of X. Shades of Denzel Curry a little bit. Yeah. Definitely the, the, that, that Florida punk rap styling. Honestly, I thought I thought it hit pretty hard right away. Um, I, N, and K, mm-hmm. the second, third, and fourth songs, all, it all sounded pretty cool. And, you know, sometimes those flows, they're really simple flows. It's ultimately just kind of a loopy trap beats and stuff. But, you know, I, I was bobbing my head to more songs than I expected. Mm-hmm. So, actually, I thought the Cuddy song sounded pretty cool. I thought that was actually a pretty solid Cuddy performance. Yeah. Good hums in there for sure. <laughs> He's been turning in some some really solid performances. You know, Kids See Ghost last year, we, we thought he sounded probably yep. the best he has in a long time. And, you know, that on this, he's he. All, I thought that song also stood out. Where, where I feel like the album really lost me a lot of time was there was just too much space in these songs. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the Dreamville record in a second, but something I really liked about that record, even though it was an hour long, most of the songs were pretty short. And it really helped this long album feel quicker because I felt like we were going through at a brisk pace. There were some on this where it was like an hour, like it felt like an hour, like a minute 30 of outro, like these like spindly guitars and like just like spacey synths. And I'm like, man, just like get to the next song. (laughs) I get the point. Just go. So a little more fine tuning. And then the opposite of that, I think there's a few songs where I think got it or on my own where it's like these rapid fire bars for 70 seconds. (laughs) The, The pacing was just all off couldn't find it so yeah uh, optimistic he's only 20 still which is kind of crazy i feel like they've been in the consciousness for like what six years now probably since they were like 13 or 14 i mean whip a hair back and forth was what 2015 2014 no dude no even that was further back that was like 2010 11 (sighs) i was a freshman (laughs) i I can't even like fathom that they've been famous for that long i think that's around the time where they both kind of got known like remember uh, karate Kid uh, for for Jaden, as well as his Bieber collabs when he's still quite young, and there's a little bit of a, a downtime. And then yeah, like maybe like four or five years ago, he started to dip his toe in hip hop and stuff. But I mean, he performed at Coachella and has dad come out. He is a legitimate artist, and it does seem like he's taking it seriously. You know, he um he opened up on tour this past uh, year with I want to say it was Cole. So he's he's doing it now, which is cool. And meanwhile, uh, I really liked him at Skate Kitchen last year, one of my favorite movies, 2018. So he does have some uh, some cool things going on. So I'm just very curious to see what's next because it's really tough to pin him down, which is probably the most exciting part of it. Well, we'll definitely stay tuned to Jaden and uh, also Willow if she drops anything. But we're going to talk about Dreamville like I was teasing before. J. Cole's record label dropping the revenge of the dreams three pretty much just a, what, a collection of songs this isn't really an album i guess i would say but more so like a collection of compilation album, compilation is album. what you would call it yeah and, and it felt that way i think that that there were similarities in you know in some of the beats some of the structure of the songs but 
pretty much it felt like they were trying to showcase different artists, different people. And I, I feel like there were some winners and losers from this album. What, why don't we start with what we liked? Because I, I think that there was more on here that I liked than didn't like. I, I thought J.I.D. stole the show on this album. Oh, yeah. J- I mean, just for some context on this, it is a compilation album, but there are a lot of guests on this and our Dreamville artists. And, you know, they they kind of leaned into that. They they hyped this up for some time now. And, like, when they tweet out the track list a few days before it came out, there's this big list of, of stats. It's like 343 invites, one studio, 12 studio setups, four cameras, 12 <laughs> sleepless nights, 142 songs, 34 artists, 27 producers, nine Dreamville artists. Uh, and it's like 250 gigs of music or whatever it was, right? It's like, <laughs> like they, they trimmed it down. Yep. And after listening to it and liking lots of the, lots of it, I'm just very curious, like, what was the point of this? Because there are so many non-Dreamville artists on this. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the best showcase for all of Dreamville. Uh, I think certain artists definitely seize the moment, like J.I.D. Mm-hmm. or Jid, as you said. Um, so Earth Gang yes. as well sounded great on this. But some of the longest-running Dreamville artists that also have some of the smaller profiles, like Boss, Kaz, Loot, Omen, kind of just float in and out on this don't make that much of an impression and it's kind of hard for those guys to stand out when they're competing with like ski mask yeah or smoke perp you know this more famous artist popping in so i was just kind of surprised that it had as many guests as it did because the past two revenge of the dreamers projects that really nothing too special 2014 2015 but they were really just all label artists so this, i was surprised this was as big as it was right and as you were talking i would almost feel like if this was a label that wasn't established in some way, I could understand them wanting to bring these these features in because it's like, look at these big names we got. It legitimizes them. But Dreamville's legitimized. Like, you know, there are... Yeah, the big it's part artists. of Interscope, too. Right. It's, it's not like an independent thing. So it, it didn't feel like they, they needed that at all. So it is... That's a great point. I'm not... I agree. I don't think they... I don't know if that was the wisest strategic move to uh, pimp these... Uh, these features but you did say that there's a lot to like and jid definitely stood out um i thought p was probably the best part of most of the tracks he was on um how'd you feel about j cole on this though uh i actually liked cole a lot just because it felt like he was just kind of just having fun just flowing in and out of these songs popping in um and knowing how this was recorded, he probably just did exactly that, just kind of laid a verse after hearing what everyone else was doing. Um, Kainu follows up what he was doing on Middle Child, which is on this, this his single from earlier this year, one of my favorite songs of the year, um, where it's a really listenable, fun Cole song without Cole losing his uh, the austere nature of his brain. You know, he's, he's still the thoughtful Cole, but the songs are a little more accessible. Um, we got that again, uh, his feature on the London with Thug and uh, Travis as well. And I feel like he gets kind of continued that, you know, songs like Sunset with Young Nudie and really any other, other features. So I think Cole just kind of didn't set out to do any like woke KOD stuff, which would have just felt out of place when you have this many features on the track list. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's why I was left feeling a little bit more mixed about his showing on this because I think... 
what you come to expect from J. Cole and what you get on this album is definitely a little different. Um, and I, I, I agree. I think if he had come, you know, super serious or like almost over the top, it would have felt even more out of place. I think he was trying to play more like host, so to speak. Um, so it makes sense that he might be a little bit toned back. Um, what else stood out to you? You mentioned Earth Gang before. Yeah, Earth Gang, they were established for a while. It's had a lot of music out before they signed the Dreamville. And their Mirrorland album has been coming soon for quite some time. But I think they just got this is a great opportunity for them to just showcase just what makes them so exciting as these guys with these really unique flows and really uh, technical guys that sound really high energy all the time. And I think Down Bad, one of the first singles, kind of reestablished them for any of the major people that aren't paying attention to them. And then my favorite song on the album, Wells Fargo, they're a big part of as well. So I think just the energy they bring definitely uh, is different than the energy that you get from a boss or a cause. These really workmanlike rappers that often have a hard time standing out on songs, especially when they're playing with guests. But I feel like Earth Can, they, they just float in and out whenever they were there, whether it was one or, or just one of them or both of them. For Wells Fargo, all I wrote in my notes is Wells Fargo is some gang shit. <laughs> just like a really fun listen. Um, no, I agree. I thought Earth Gang really stood out and uh, made me really excited to kind of dive more into them, which is what an album like this can do. You know, you're showcasing different artists and you hear one that stands out. And you want to go check it out. Someone that we were t- that we were definitely already turned on to is Ari Lennox, who has a couple of tracks on this that she anchors. Uh, and I, I really liked almost every track she was on, um, you know, especially the uh the one at the end uh let me just get the name of it uh self-love which i think also might have been a single if i'm i might yeah um but i thought self-love was really good and especially because i ari actually no sorry i'm thinking about the wrong one i was gonna talk about got me yes got me um yeah because that one's yeah because i feel like dreezy comes in at the end and just absolutely murders it Mm -hmm. um but the way that Ari kind of uh, floats in and out on the you know the chorus and then into then the verses come about. It's just so perfect. And you know she got Ty Dollar Sign crooning with her. It's just such a well constructed, nice song. <laughs> I was like, man, this is really really quality. Um, but yeah, Ari Lennox, I thought shined like she had like she did it on her album. Yeah, man. Um, I think a lot of these songs are just really fun. Like Costa Rica, another one just high energy and you know, i think some of these songs ultimately are predisposable just because they even though everyone apparently was in the studio together a lot of it just feels really constructed together All right, you lay a verse you lay a verse you lay a verse none of these verses connect or mean anything combined they just sound okay next to each other so we threw them together you know so it's tough to have i think really high expectations for this but i think you know a lot of the songs sound pretty good and I think because there's such a variety of artists on this showing out, it's just just exciting stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's as soon as you hear what Cole's doing on this, I think you kind of have to know that it's just kind of lower stakes for everyone involved. But even with that said, Jid still knows how to bring it all the time. I think that's just the only way he 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 can make music. Yeah, no, I agree. He he goes 110 miles per hour every time he can. Um, so check those songs out. We're gonna put a couple on to our nostalgia best of 2019 on spotify moving on to fourth of july fourth of stranger things they're back man i mean 
Stranger Things, the, the crew, Mike, Will, Eleven, Lucas, Max, and Dustin. The fact that I can like list their names off, I think, speaks to the fact that Stranger Things has really moved into the consciousness of just the public of about of culture in, in 2019. And, you know, I didn't really feel super excited for this season coming up. We talked a little bit about our expectations and things we were kind of looking for, you know, when we were talking about what, what was coming up uh, in 2019 for TV. I think I jumping back into it, I found that what I really look for when I watch the show is just being with these characters that are fun to be with. Um, and this season, especially because we're only going to talk about the first half, we'll review the second half uh, either next week or the week after. I didn't find myself enjoying being with some of them as much, but I think that's because of the age they're at now. Like someone like Mike, I found myself being like, fuck Mike a lot. <laughs> like Such a little <laughs> prick, you know, Hopper, different species. Doc. <laughs> um, Hopper, uh, some of his stuff works for me, and some of it is really a, a bit grating. Uh, still, Stan David Harbor, though, he's just always fun mm-hmm. to be around. But yeah, it, they had this flashback. I think it was in episode three when Will is got, is really upset, and he's thinking about back to like season one, these memories they had. And they when they showed them and how young they were, yeah, I was like... They're young, so... Damn. How, it's crazy that they were that young and this is where we're at with them. How are you feeling? Just a temperature check on Stranger Things season three and being back with the gang. I like this season because it definitely feels like a continuation, a true progression of the story of the characters. Part of that is they are older and acting older as well. But also because season two, which was largely plotted out um, before season one took off and became an unexpected, you know, blockbuster show. Season two was just kind of like season one B, you know, it it was a bit of more of the same. And then the one big swing swing they did, the lost sister episode was quite polarizing and just kind of felt like it was from a different place, different show, but now getting back, I think just the hangs is why I'm there. Mm -hmm. And even if, you know, Mike, at least in the first half of the season that we're discussing, uh, isn't as likable. I just want to be with these characters and see what they're doing, yeah. you know, and the relationships they have with everyone. And at least the way the season has started, I think they're following up on that because they're taking a lot of things that were cool in season two and actually develop them in a smart way. You know, the Barb grief in season two felt manufactured because Barb was an unexpected, like viral yeah. from season one. But I think in this season, you know, we have more of Dustin and uh, Joe Keery hanging mm-hmm. out. And that's they're, they're really fun together. So why not do that some more, right? Um, obviously, the relationship stuff is there. But, you know, we also have uh, uh, Winona Ryder having a bit of PTSD with uh, Sean Astin, mm-hmm. who dies in season two. And it, it just it truly feels like a sequel season, which I like. Um the upside down framing of it all, I think it's still, you know, just kind of up and down because sometimes it just feels like it gets in the way of uh, what's more fun, which is just the hanging and the relationships and everything. And especially because through four episodes, you know, they kind of just repeat what they've done before, specifically what's uh, heat up Billy. Yeah. And expel the, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the monster mm-hmm. from him. 
which we had seen before. And it just feels like 11 needs to be the uh, Deus Ex Machina of all conflicts. Because mm-hmm. she's the only one who obviously can do anything about it. But even if it's familiar, it's such a fun show. And obviously the the 80s window dressing is done so thoughtfully and looks so great. Mm-hmm. That's just it's just fun for the hangs, you know. Yeah. And also, one other thing that happened in season two that they leaned into was the uh, Mrs. Wheeler and Billy, yeah, uh, sexual tension. What about match. Bono though? What about Bono though? <laughs> so fucking great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bono just chef's kiss. She's incredible in this show, um, in in a lot of ways. But I, I agree that the hangs is what you're here for, and you do a lot of hanging out in malls in this, which feels very. Um, appropriate especially for yes. you know that that time period and what a lot of people were doing um but it also adds this really fun element about like seeing these old stores even if they're like knockoffs of what the actual stores were like you know Hoy is obviously supposed to be like a baskin robbins type place or something like that mm-hmm. um it it's really uh fun to be back with this group and i, I actually wanted to challenge one thing you said because Billy, yeah, they, they heat him up. He becomes the villain. But I think they actually are adding a little more gravitas to the Demigorgons because you see at the end of episode four that there's mm-hmm. like True. dozens of people, um, which adds this element of the Demigorgon being just this like overarching like monster kind of like CGI whatever and brings it back a little bit more to like that human aspect, which I think can make it a little bit more interesting potentially for the end of the season. I do think, you know... Uh, L being the the deus ex machina is something that the show doesn't really know how to write around right now um unless you bring in her sisters uh or the other experience or her siblings whatever they are the test experiments but we don't know if they're gonna do that um so definitely some uh, things to be looking out for um what what characters you've mentioned like joe carey um steve and, and dustin together what other characters have you really enjoyed this season so far Oh, I've really liked what's her name who's hanging out with them? Maya Hall's Robin? character. Robin. Yeah. The 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 child of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, by the yeah. way. Her I think it's her first first show role. She's she's awesome. Yeah. And just another like it was just another smart addition to the ensemble, the same way Max felt so effortless when the way she was added in last season. Mm-hmm. So I really liked everything they got going on. Even Dustin's uh sister, who or it's not uh Mike's what, sister? What's his name? No, uh, Caleb McLaughlin, his little sister with the ice cream. Oh. Um, Lucas's yeah. sister. She also had a bit of a, a virality to her in a few small moments in season two, bringing her in, but actually not doesn't, doesn't feel forced this mm-hmm. time around. It's it just, I just like the way they've slowly expanded everything. And as you said, the Starcourt Mall is a great setting. So is the pool for yeah. that matter. You know, I like that we're not, I like it's summer, like that we're not in the school again. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of past the fish out of water stuff with Eleven, even if she still doesn't know how to speak complete sentences for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a bit But strange. I also, I, I like how Billy is uh, more involved because he really felt in season two like he had a purpose in a previous draft and it was just kind of cut. So he was just kind of really one dimensional goon figure mm-hmm. that was just kind of there. I like that he's at least being used as the host, the bad yeah. of sorts. So that's smart. And I think Dacre Montgomery is pretty, pretty compelling mm-hmm. in that as well. And even before that, because he's so shredded, the the whole uh, bit with Mrs. Wheeler is just hilarious. Yeah, and all the moms, just in general, wanting him. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Billy. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I also really like what they've done with Will because if you think about the the natural way that things come about as you're a teenager, is there are you know those those friends or those people in the friend group who kind of move forward and start looking to the other aspects of life and those that stay a little bit more ingrained in their childhood um, a little bit longer and, and mm-hmm. that conflict that ri- arises. But then you also bring about the idea that maybe Will is gay or bisexual mm-hmm. or something outside of just being a straight white kid, white male is pretty interesting and something that they're obviously thinking about. Um, and the conflict of, you know, he was basically sidelined for two seasons. He got he got yeah. the Doug. F- He's a tough hang <laughs> through two seasons. Yeah. It's pretty real. He got the Doug in the hangover treatment where they're just like, we're just going to put you out of frame and let the other people cook. It's nice to like see them realistically deal with it where these other kids have kind of moved on and he's kind of like stuck in that like phase he was before he went to a coma for two years basically or, or two school years. So some really I, I, thought, I think some really well done stuff and I, I also really like all the relationship stuff. I find it very funny and very like kiddish like even like watching them like kiss sometimes it, it's very it's very well done. It's like little kid like or like early like teenage yes. kissing. So they they really do it very tastefully. And Hopper wanting the door open three inches uh, is a, yep. a pretty good bit. So definitely some some good stuff there. How do you feel about Nancy and Jonathan? I think they're they're they're, they're been the weak links thus far, just because they're not as fun to be around. Their relationship is it's okay, I guess. Um, I think most people want her to be with Steve. Um, I think that's probably not happening now. That's fine, but in the meantime. At least they're doing stuff that's like involved in the main plot, but they haven't interacted with really the rest of the cast at all. It's just those two and Mrs. Wheeler and other people that doesn't interact with the rest of the cast, like the people at the po- the paper and stuff. So yeah, want to see where that's going, but yeah, they're, they're um they're just I don't know because like now they're having relationship trouble again or they've split whatever it is and. I don't know. It just feels like we, we, we're kind of spinning some wheels again with them mm-hmm. just because maybe they don't know a more interesting way to integrate them. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense that we have distinct arcs and storylines and not everyone's hanging out as one big mob, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that just lends itself to certain plot points being more compelling than others. I think that's where we're at right now with Nancy and Jonathan. No, I agree. Um, definitely very interested to see where the rest of the season goes, and we'll be reviewing that. Any last thoughts on the first half before we move on? Yeah, I'm just very, uh, very, very uh, happy to keep watching. I think that this this is a strong start. I thought the premiere of season three was quite good. Um, and yeah, even though I wasn't like like you, I wasn't like super anticipating the return. Uh, once you're back, it's just fun to be back with yeah. that show. And I think that just kind of speaks to the the world building, even if it's largely uh, mimicking you know the past right. it's not like it's an original creation it's still uh fun nonetheless so very very pleased thus far yeah the, the time the time frame of the show is so important because you think about if this happened now like cell phones fix a lot of these issues these communication issues very quickly so <laughs> sure <laughs> let, why don't we talk about the last man in san francisco or i'll let you talk about it what, this came out of sundance is that right yeah came out sundance uh largely out of nowhere but critical acclaim right away from Joe Talbot, first-time feature film director, starring Jimmy Fails, who co-wrote it, who is, is his first first film role. And they're friends, childhood friends, 
from San Francisco, making a movie about SF. And yeah, the movie was produced by Plan B, distributed by A24, came out about a month ago, uh, didn't, had a very slow buildup and release, never left limited release. I was able to catch it. I uh, never really got to you, and I assume most people aren't even really aware of the movie just because the way A24 usually does it, you know, there's a very s- small marketing spend. So I think they just kind of wanted just to be a, a slow burn, let the critical claim speak for itself, and it's doing good business as a small movie, but it's probably never was going to be anything more than a small movie. So that's where that is. Obviously, it's disappointing, but it'll be on streaming soon enough for everyone else. And obviously, I didn't know who Joe Talbot was or Jimmy Fails were before this. Um, I think they were pretty well known in the Bay Area filmmaking scene, but this is really the, the culmination of years of hard work and uh, developing of this movie, which they've worked on for so long but without spoiling anything it's kind of a continuation of this recent run of movies about the bay area specifically like gentrification the bay area we've had barry jenkins Mm -hmm. with medicine for melancholy as well as blind spotting with david diggs last year um so this is a theme we've seen before and i i have the movie in my top uh three right now for 2019 i really liked it and i think what makes it stand out is the themes are uh, pretty pretty present about, you know, friendship and finding purpose and finding happiness, especially when your home is being changed. And obviously the housing crisis in San Francisco, the Bay Area, is pretty well documented and a pretty shitty situation for people that actually are from that area. Um, but seeing a movie that is actually informed on this, but doesn't forsake i think like the characters or the writing to beat you over the head with these themes uh was really was really great and also this movie again despite being a feature film debut honestly the the movie is is super gorgeous like the saturation (laughs) stands out all the time and it's framed around uh jimmy playing a fictional version of himself and his friend Montgomery, played by Jonathan Majors, who is absolutely fantastic. We'll be seeing a lot of him in the future. Uh, they're these two local guys who have marginally uh, jobs. Like they're, they 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 don't have a lot going on. Uh, you know, they they share a small small space in uh, Montgomery's grandfather's home. So like they're not like super da- uh, super uh, successful or anything. But they're really fixated on Jimmy's childhood home, which is this beautiful. Victorian home in the Mission District that now is valued at $4 million and Jimmy's family had to leave long ago and you know the way they uh, weave a story of gentrification into a story about these two friends uh, is done I think really smartly because the friendship and just the warmth that these two guys have together uh, is super believable and feels really earned and you know I don't really want to spoil anything about where the movie goes or anything like that, but it. Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that uh, Jonathan Majors does, like his character has a bunch of uh, monologues of sorts, uh, even gives speeches to people in the movie. And yes, he might be communicating the themes pretty broadly via those speeches, but I think the movie is just super moving the whole time. That's okay. Uh, so I, I really, I really, really dig this movie, and I hope a lot of people get to see it as it. Uh, becomes more accessible so definitely check it out i mean everything you've said about it so far I, I i already wanted to see it but 
definitely making me excited for it. Tell me about your thoughts on Talbot as a filmmaker. Any interesting choices or his style that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's a really cool shot where he, uh, Jimmy and Montgomery are skateboarding down one of the famous hills hills of San Francisco, but it's a super wide tracking shot on a drone. Like you're really far back. Meanwhile, the score is really beautiful at that time, and he's really good at just communicating the themes he wants, uh, whether it's just by visuals or through the music or both. And uh, again, like this movie was made for for no no money, but it looks dynamite, uh, which. I think the guy definitely knows knows his his, uh, his shit, and I I don't think he has any uh, new project on the uh, officially announced yet. But whatever he does, I'm he'll probably just stick with Plan B and A24. They obviously helped him out tremendously, but clearly a really talented guy. And I think the fact that he worked so hard for so long to get to this point just kind of makes you more invested in his success because yeah. he truly feels like someone who really likes likes film but also didn't take any shortcuts because he was making a movie that isn't the easiest sell, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, yeah, he's definitely uh, a new star for sure. Yeah, and I feel like people should just make more movies in San Francisco if they can. You know, it's just such a beautiful city and setting, I feel like, especially the hills really add a sense of location mm-hmm. and place. And Apparently it's a city that's actually quite hard to film in in terms of just getting the film permits and stuff. Um but you know, as a local making a movie about right. his home, you knew he would uh, wouldn't give up. And I think obviously, I'm sure Plan B helped him with that. But yeah, uh, great stuff, man. Definitely check this out. Yeah, definitely excited for it. And maybe when I get a chance to see it, I'll give my my thoughts on it as well. That wraps it up for us this week, though. What do we got for next week? Yeah, so next week, obviously, we'll uh, finish up Stranger Things. I'm actually happy we're kind of spreading that out a little bit, both for our own viewing pleasure, but just you know, let people consume at their own pace and then checking with us when they do. Uh, Ed Sheeran has that collabs album. Not super excited about it, but <laughs> it's Ed Sheeran. So we should talk about it. Uh, Blood Orange, just Dev Hines just announced yeah. a mixtape for this Friday. That's cool. Oh, yeah. uh, Big Crit's got a record. Might check that out. Um, Aziz Ansari has a, his new special on Netflix coming out tomorrow. So you're probably hearing this. Uh, it's probably already out on Netflix. I saw him live recently, so I'm sure I've seen a little bit of the material, but I'm uh, very excited for that just because that's a like an important comeback, and there's a lot of important conversations to have around the framing of that comeback, so we should definitely talk about that. And the Emmy nominations will get announced next week, next Tuesday, so plenty of stuff. Even There's no new movies, really, for us. I think we're going to skip uh, Stuber, <laughs> the comedy movie. I know The, uh, the Farewell with Aquafina is coming out, but that's probably going to start in very limited release, so we'll get to that as it gets to us. But always stuff to talk about. At now, uh, yeah. at NowStalgiaPod on Twitter, uh, SoundCloud.com slash NowStalgiaPod to find all the ways to listen to us. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit, hit that subscribe button. All five-star readings and reviews on iTunes are welcome. We love you. We appreciate you. Peace out. Yeah.